Welcome in, everyone. Sports Medicine Weekly Podcast. Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole with you. Dr. Cole, of course, the head team physician for the Chicago Bulls, one of the team physicians for the Chicago White Sox, sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Our website is sportsmedicineweekly.com. One of our participating sponsors is Athletico. What if the best way to treat your pain is to start with physical therapy? The same Athletico therapists who work with world-class athletes and professional dancers can transform your pain before it progresses to something worse. Schedule your free assessment at athletico.com. It all starts with Athletico. And Dr. Cole, we've got a great guest on the line joining us here on our Sports Medicine Weekly podcast, Dr. John Fernandez, hand, wrist, and elbow surgeon at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush in Chicago, also team physician for the Chicago Bulls, White Sox, and the Chicago Steel Hockey Team, also director of microsurgery at Midwest Orthopedics Rush. I want to ask Dr. Fernandez about that. But Dr. Colt, we'll start with you. Um, when you take care of a, a Bulls or White Sox player and do your end of it, and then when he's got a hand injury, wrist injury, uh, talk about how that process works with your team of doctors, and that's how we bring in Dr. Fernandez, correct? Right. Yeah, Steve, no, the point is that one of the benefits of being in a group like Midwest Orthopedics is that we really all are quite specialized. So um, when it comes to anything that I don't do every day, um, I end up calling John or Dr. Fernandez when we have a hand, wrist, and some of our elbow injuries because, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of cross-pollination in terms of our specialties. You know, I was, uh, I, I did years ago what's called a sports medicine fellowship, and I wouldn't know how to do hand surgery for the life of me at this point. But uh, not while not all things are surgical and most things are not, just the decision-making as it gets out your, outside your expertise uh, can really be facilitated just by having people like him and Dr. Cohn and Wasaki and Simcock. These are our, our partners who do hand and wrist surgery. Well, Dr. Fernandez, thanks for joining us. Uh, can you tell us about some of the common uh, hand injuries you see maybe amongst professional athletes, collegiate athletes, and uh, even the weekend warrior out there? Hey, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's actually very similar. Obviously, you know, the professional athletes are playing at a, at a higher, more intense level. But you'd be surprised at the similarities between both groups. Uh, and in some ways, you might even see more injuries in the, you know, the more casual athlete, if you want to call it that. Obviously, the professional athletes, um, you know, are a little bit more finely tuned. You would think that because they're playing at a higher intensity, they're going to have a higher risk of injury. But they also know how to avoid those risks. And, you know, I always liken it to, you know, a Formula One race car to somebody who's, you know, racing a car on their own on some local track there's going to be big differences but the but the similar but there are a lot of similarities the types of injuries we'll tend to see are you know your typical fractures of the fingers or the fingertips as well as ligament injuries any sport that involves any level of contact whether it's with the ball itself or with other individuals is going to expose you to that some have a slightly higher incidence than others but you'll tend to see the similar fractures dislocations uh, um, uh, within both classes of athletes. You know, Steve, a lot of the things that we see uh, on the court, for example, are, are acute injuries uh, where there's a dislocation of a finger. Um, we've had, you know, that, that's actually really common in collision sports, and that's something that can pretty easily be managed. But the things that I think that 
we've seen that we've struggled the most have been these ligament injuries that you have to make a decision for surgery. John, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about, uh, now that we're in the middle of the ski season, especially the so-called skier's thumb um, or gamekeeper's thumb. You know, that's something that um, I, you know, happens quite a bit with skiing, but we've had at least, I think over the last 15 years, I have to say we've had at least half a dozen of these uh, in the NBA on the Bulls side that have been treated. You know, just tell us a little bit, walk us through why it's so common in collision sports and how you, how, what it is and how you manage it. Yeah, so the, the skier's thumb is basically a ligamentous injury or ligament injury of the thumb that occurs either one of two ways. One way is from a fall itself uh, where the thumb is then extended or it's pulled backwards and it basically extends beyond the ligament reach, and so the ligament will snap, just like you, Brian, are treating ligament injuries in the knee, or like an ACL injury. Um, the other way it happens is when the thumb is pulled off to the side, and that, again, is from contact against the body or contact against the ball, uh, and, again, it exceeds the limit of the ligament. What makes this injury a little bit more quirky or unusual compared to other ligament injuries, because it should be noted that the vast majority of ligament injuries in the hand uh, probably 90% plus of them can be treated uh, with benign neglect. You could basically treat it like a bad sprain and they heal very effectively and without any consequence. But what makes this ligament injury unusual is that there's a tendon right next to the ligament that will slip in between the ligament and the bone, which will then impede its ability to heal. And so what will happen is the athlete will then have a chronic sense of pain and instability uh, which will then uh, kind of linger with them uh, as the ligament is not able. It's basically blocked from healing against the bone. And so in those cases, recognition is very important because the thumb won't feel horrible early on. It'll feel like a bad sprain, and most individuals will think, well, with time it'll probably pass, it'll get better. And it can even fool some clinicians unless they're specifically looking for that type of injury. And unfortunately, there is a window of time uh, in which you have to act. The good news is is that if it needs repair, there's been a lot of technological advances, especially in the last five years, in which we repair these. Uh, there's a common term that you'll hear uh, in the news now called internal brace that we use on professional athletes that allow them to return back to sport literally in half the time that it used to uh, by using uh, a, a, a suture device that basically augments the ligament it basically, it basically adds to the strength of the ligament so that while the ligament is he- healing, um, the individual can return to contact more quickly. Again, you're listening to our Sports Medicine Weekly podcast here. Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole. Our guest is Dr. John Fernandez, hand, wrist, and elbow surgeon at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush and a team physician for the Chicago Bulls, White Sox, and the Chicago Steel Hockey Team. Also director of microsurgery at MOR, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. And Dr. Fernandez, I want to ask you about that. Can you define for us and for our listeners what microsurgery means? Yeah, microsurgery is almost like what it sounds like. It's operating on very, very small structures. We typically define them as under one millimeter. Uh, these are typically nerves and blood vessels or the, the parts of a nerve and blood vessel that you put together. Microsurgery is relatively new. I mean, it's, it basically uh, uh, became uh, uh, described in more commonplace in the 1960s and 1970s. And there has been, you know, uh, an advancement over that time. 
And really what allowed us to start repairing these structures is the ability of having a high-quality microscope or, or a lens that allows you to see these structures as well as the, the sutures required. When you're using, for example, a suture to perform microsurgery, it's literally a fraction of the diameter of a human hair. If I had that suture in front of you right now, you wouldn't even be able to see it with your naked eye. You'd actually have to use almost like a microscope, like what you would use in school to look at a slide to actually see the, the suture that you're using to then repair these structures. And so the whole idea behind microsurgery is the ability to repair these little tiny structures, which then allows us to do other miraculous things like replanting a hand or transplanting a hand from one person to another individual. These are things that are only available now because of the ability to perform microsurgery and repair these smaller structures. John, I'm interested to know, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing as my uh, patients age it's not uncommon well, where I'll have a, 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 woman, a woman who's very, very active, maybe seeing for her shoulder or knee, and she then shows me her thumb, and the base of her thumb is all swollen, and she says, look, I can't even open a jar. Uh, what should I do? And these are obviously the patients that I send to you and the other hand surgeons at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. You know, what is that condition, and uh, what are some of the current ways that you're treating it? That is an awesome question. It's one of my favorite conditions to treat because it has such a high satisfaction rate. And it is relatively common in relatively young people. It's called basilar joint arthritis or carpal metacarpal joint arthritis. It is, uh, I call it a younger person's arthritis because we typically start to see it as early as 30s. It's estimated that 30 to 40% of people can have it by the time they get into their 40s and 50s. And now that I'm in that group, it doesn't seem like such a small group anymore. Uh, it is particularly more common in, in females. Uh, uh, an incidence of eight times compared to males. And there's different theories with regards to that, some having to do with uh, the effects of estrogen on the body, which creates a natural laxity or looseness to the joints. The other one being that the joints themselves are shaped slightly different, which predisposes to early wear on the joint. Uh, and so it, it is like arthritis, like you would see, you know, with age, for example, natural aging. You get into your 70s or 80s, you would expect to have a joint a little bit worn out, the analogy I give people is that it's like a tire on a car with age and with use and with mileage and time. It's going to naturally wear out. The rubber will wear out. But unfortunately, with basilar joint arthritis, it occurs at a much more rapid and severe rate. And, you know, there, there been a, there's been solutions since uh, the 1980s uh, 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 that were very elegant in terms of the reconstruction. But a lot has changed. And like we were talking about earlier, this internal brace concept of utilizing suture materials to help hold the, the ligaments in place while the healing is occurring. We actually developed a technique that's unique uh, uh, to Rush and to Midwest Orthopedics where we use that same uh, type of suture material to perform the reconstruction. And in the early stages, uh, what I call the early versions of the surgery, we would actually have to use your own tendon as a spare part and so we would have to use a larger incision. We would have to harvest that tendon. And now we've basically gotten rid of that step. And so we no longer use larger incisions. We, use, we do the surgery through a very small incision. I actually had two of these earlier today. And the surgery takes us less than about 40 minutes to do. We do it under a regional anesthetic, which allows the patient to recover very quickly. The patient is basically awake during the surgery. Uh, and the rehab is remarkably faster now because 
Now we allow patients to take off the splint as early as a week or two to start using the hand to type and write, whereas in the old days, the patient would be in a cast for the first uh, two to three months. Um, and so it has a high pay- satisfaction rate because patients are pretty miserable. I mean, imagine if you're in your 40s and 50s and you're active. These are the times when you want to stay active. And so patients are trying to play tennis and golf. They're trying to play pickleball. And they can't because they can't grip the racket. Or just simple ma- measures of writing uh, and, and just using your hand to turn a key. It can be miserable because that pinch activity basically puts stress on the joint where the cartilage is worn out. And so now we have the ability to reconstruct that joint in a permanent, durable way that's reproducible with a relatively fast recovery. And we are just happy to offer that to patients because they have such a high satisfaction rate and they do so well with the surgery. Just a couple more questions for Dr. John Fernandez. Again, our guest here on our Sports Medicine Weekly podcast, Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole, Dr. Fernandez, hand, wrist, elbow surgeon at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Um, I love the, I don't know the exact amount. You're going to tell us here if you can, Dr. Fernandez. How many bones are there in the hand and wrist? I've heard it before, and I was fascinated by the amount. Well, it depends on if you count uh, all of the small bones that are that there are, that there is a lot of variability um, uh, uh, in the hand because there are small bones, for example, called sesamoid bones, which are near the tendons and joints, and they're technically bones, but they're not bones that we necessarily uh, count. Uh, each finger has three bones except for the thumb, which has two bones, and then there's the five metacarpal bones, and then there's the eight bones in the wrist. And so there's typically about 25 to 27 bones, depending on if you count all the smaller bones. Uh, there's a funny story uh, of uh, a lawyer who's asking a case, uh, asking a question in a case, uh, trying to trick the surgeon uh, because the lawyer knew that there was a lot of variability in terms of how many bones are on the body, depending on which book you read. And he was trying to trick the doctor by asking him that same question and said, well, doctor, how many, you are an orthopedic specialist, how many bones are there in the human body? And the doctor knew that it was a little bit of a trick question because there is a lot of variability from person to person. He said, you know what? I can't necessarily tell you, but I can name every single one, which is, which is absolutely <laughs> true. Uh, and so there is some variability uh, in terms of that. And so when you think about that, I mean, think of the miracle of the human hand with all of these moving parts where you can take your hand and put it in a pocket and you can pull out a nickel versus a dime just by touching it. And you can, you can sense a temperature difference as small as two or three degrees uh, without even looking at it. Um, there is nothing, no matter how much money you put into it, even if Elon Musk put in his billions of dollars and he tried to create a hand in a package as small as a hand, that's the trick, that can do those miraculous things. It's impossible to do. You cannot duplicate it. And so because it is such, a, such an intricate machine, I think of it as a machine, it is such an intricate machine that small injuries can have a devastating impact. I mean, imagine a small clock or a small machine with these little working gears and you basically smash it on the ground or you, you, you injure the gear mechanism. Imagine what effect or what impact that would have on the workings of that machine. It's very similar in the human hand, and that's what really attracted me to that field 
uh, and it really uh, drew me uh, to trying to fix that problem. That's fascinating. Steve. Final question for Dr. John Fernandez, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Um, you, you mentioned uh, replantation of amputated arms, hands, digits. It's something we don't think about when, you know, I'm going to go see a hand, wrist, elbow surgeon like yourself. I'm thinking of common injuries that, you know, broken bones and bruises and a fractured wrist and those sorts. But, boy, you, you really dive into some things like, like transplantations too, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And especially now, I mean, it's, uh, it's uh, snowing in Chicago. We've got a blizzard. It took me an hour and a half to drive home. And so as soon as I get home, I'm going to take out my snowblower. And unfortunately, we, we see a lot of these snowblower injuries. And unfortunately, uh, those require microsurgery in some cases to put the fingers back on or put them back mm. together. Uh, and fortunately, it's not as common as it used to be because now we have, you know, safer guides and safer guidelines in terms of how we use this equipment. Uh, but unfortunately, we still have to resort to microsurgery to repair you know, these types of devastating injuries, whether it's a, you know, a firework injury at the 4th of July or a snowblower injury, you know, in the middle of winter. Unfortunately, microsurgery never sleeps. So, so we're still putting these parts back together. Great stuff. Dr. John Fernandez, thanks so much for being a guest here on our Sports Medicine Weekly podcast. Continued success. Thanks for all you that you do. My pleasure. Thank you. That's Dr. John Fernandez, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. And a reminder, our thanks to JRF Ortho. They partner with orthopedic surgeons to improve the quality of life of patients by enabling them to have an active life through the generous gift of cartilage and ligament transplantation. Please go to jrfortho.org to learn more. Sign up to be a tissue donor at donatelife.net. Many thanks to Dr. Brian Cole. And for Dr. John Fernandez, I'm Steve Cashel. We Thank you for listening to our Sports Medicine Weekly podcast, and we'll talk with you next time.